Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dawn, back with another short review episode. For those of you who might be newer to the podcast, a review episode is just my ultra-fancy name for a podcast episode that I record myself where I go back and revisit an older anime title I haven't seen in years, take some notes on what I might remember about it, and then go rewatch it to see if I still feel the same way about it as I did back in the day, since, you know, as we get older, sometimes our tastes change, or we pick up on things that we didn't notice before. All that stuff. Simple, right? Anyway, I usually run my podcast on a schedule where I'll do two longer episodes with a guest, where we go in-depth on something, and then one of these short review episodes to give myself a little bit of a break. So if this kind of episode isn't your favorite type, don't worry. This isn't how every episode of the podcast goes. Next episode will be another longer one with a special guest, so please look forward to it. And now that that's out of the way, let's get on with the episode. In this episode, I'll be covering a movie that was on Sci-Fi Channel's Saturday Anime Block several times, which is where a lot of us older anime fans might have seen it first. Now, you might be asking, hey, if this was on Saturday Anime, why isn't this part of your Saturday Anime series? Well, my friends, that's because this episode is at the request of Tim, who won the second prize in my fundraiser for the Transgender Education Network of Texas back in March. And as his prize, he got to choose a title for me to talk about in a short review episode. Many thanks to Tim and everyone else who donated to the fundraiser to help me raise over $2,000 for the Transgender Education Network of Texas. So I am more than happy to revisit one of the Saturday anime staples, the 1987 sci-fi movie, Lily Cat. Lily Cat is one I haven't seen in quite some time, but I do recall that I had indeed first seen the movie on Sci-Fi Channel's old Saturday anime blog back in the 90s. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Sci-Fi Channel, back when it was still spelled correctly, used to show anime on Saturday mornings from the mid to late 90s. This was a lot of folks' first exposure to many sci-fi and fantasy anime, or even anime in general, since it was on cable TV at a time when anime wasn't as easily accessible or as popular in the mainstream. So for someone like me, it was a great opportunity to record some anime off of TV on VHS. At a friend's house, that is, since at the time, I didn't have cable TV at home. But Sci-Fi Channel's Saturday anime was great for me because it helped me check out a lot of the titles I might not have watched myself, since I pretty much gave any anime available to me a shot. Because... That's how desperate we used to be for anime sometimes, kids. (laughs) I distinctly remember two things about Lily Cat. The first thing I remember is thinking it was very, very apparent that the staff of this movie were big fans of the Alien movie. In fact, I think younger me didn't like the movie in part because I'd quickly decided that it was a, quote, bad alien ripoff after my first viewing. 
The second thing I remember is that there is a cat, and the cat doesn't survive, to put it nicely. If you're a fan of the Alien movie franchise, you can probably imagine what I mean. So, I'm already prepared for this knowledge, thankfully, but for those of you who are sensitive to animal deaths, especially ones that might be gruesome, this is a heads up for you. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go into any detail about it, just know that it's there. I may have watched the movie once or twice more, possibly to show to friends if I'd recorded it on VHS, but it's probably been over 20 years since I last watched Lily Cat. So honestly, other than those two very specific memories I have of the movie, I really don't know what to expect. I want to keep more of an open mind this time, as now that I'm older, I know that obvious and direct homages in anime aren't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, as I get older, I realize that a lot of anime I treasured were very heavily inspired by Hollywood movies, live-action shows, and older anime that I just hadn't been familiar with at the time. I might have been too hard on this movie at the time, so I'm looking forward to giving it another chance. Maybe this time I'll enjoy it a little more, despite my initial impression. I guess we'll find out together, listeners, in this month's rewatch. Next. For interplanetary taxi drivers, everybody else is just along for the ride. Interstellar transport is not all it's cracked up to be. It appears that you have two people aboard who are not who they claim to be. Time jumpers, we're dealing with a couple of criminals. The first thing we have to do is to find who those two people are. In fact, these folks were better off asleep. Something was brought into this ship, and some kind of deadly bacteria were brought in with it. In space. What in blazes is happening? No one. Should have to put up with Lily Cat. Lily Cat. Next on the Sci Fi Channel. So, first off, just to get it out of the way, I was 100% correct in remembering that the cat in the movie does not survive. I was a little surprised to see it was somehow even more graphic than I had remembered, though, so I want to make absolutely sure that anyone who would be extremely upset to see a very on-screen animal death knows this right off the bat. If this kind of thing is a deal-breaker for you, then you can just skip this one altogether. Now, as for my other memory of Lily Cat being, quote, just an alien ripoff, Well, I was kind of right. It's definitely heavily inspired by Alien, for sure. Many of the story beats are similar to Alien, and there's definitely some similarities in how the film's setting and direction look. In the world of Lily Cat, a crew has been traveling through space for over 20 years in cryogenic suspended sleep pods to reach a faraway planet in hopes of investigating it for potential resources all paid for by the major corporation they work for, of course. But soon after they all successfully wake up, one by one, crew members start dying horrible illness-related deaths, and their bodies mysteriously disappear. It's soon very apparent that there is something else there with them on the ship, and, 
yeah, if that wasn't enough to give you an alien vibe, then the aesthetic of the movie definitely will. Everything from the spaceship, to the crew members, to the creature design is right out of an 80s sci-fi Hollywood movie. But its influences don't really stop there, as there's a healthy dose of some impressive body horror that many people compare to John Carpenter's The Thing, and for good reason. But I also think that the body horror of Gonagai's Devil Man, specifically relating to the character Jinmen, might have also been an influence here as well, especially with the absorbing of his victims aspect. If you've watched the second episode of the Devil Man OVA and this movie, you'll know what I mean. There's also a secondary plot where the crew of the ship discover that two of their fellow crew members are actually wanted criminals, and that they had just jumped onto their ship to use their hypersleep to hide out there for the next 20 years till everyone on Earth has forgotten about them and their crimes. This throws an air of suspicion into the mix that's a bit reminiscent of the sci-fi shoujo classic They Were Eleven, which at the time Lilycat was made had just gotten its own anime film adaptation a year before in 1986, and had previously had a live-action Japanese TV movie in the 70s. So I don't think it's too far-fetched to think that it might have had an influence on this story as well. Pair this up with the fact that this movie is a refreshing 67 minutes long, and I have to say that I actually had a lot of fun watching Lily Cat this time. Its relatively short runtime gives it just enough time to get the best parts of the plot elements out there and not drag it out too long. We don't get a ton of needless exposition on characters' pasts. We don't have a scientist constantly over-explaining the creature or the science behind it all. And we don't have any last-minute, long-winded discovery that will save everyone. What we have is a great example of utilizing animation to give us a pretty great science fiction horror short story that, while following some very familiar conventions, would have been much, much harder to do convincingly in live action, especially during this time. While the animation isn't as lavishly detailed as some of the other anime movies and OVAs of the 80s, it benefits greatly by having very strong character designs and a good grasp of the kind of style and direction a good horror movie in space needs. That's not to say it's perfect by any means. While I found its shorter runtime refreshing, others might find it's too short, which is fair. And while I appreciate that the film didn't waste a ton of time trying to delve too deep into the personalities of characters that would only be on screen for a very short amount of time, their handling of some of the cast could have been better. I know that this is a movie from 1987, and I am glad that they tried to realistically make the crew a wide variety of different people, but their design for the one black character in the entire movie could have been better, to put it gently. The women in the crew were also a bit one-note, one of them being pretty susceptible to not doing much other than to scream and cry whenever something happened. But 
Like I said before, this could easily be a byproduct of the film trying not to waste any screen time delving too much into each character, and, well, this is a sci-fi horror movie from the 80s, so someone needs to be screaming and crying for the full effect, right? And much like how I could see people complaining about the short runtime, the ending also kind of wraps everything up a little too neatly at the end, which isn't exactly my favorite, but is a common thing with these types of movies. But if you're a sci-fi horror fan, this isn't exactly a deal breaker. If you like the style and tone of Alien and you love grisly, cool horror monsters, I totally recommend putting this at the top of your horror to watch list immediately if you haven't seen it already. It's no wonder that Lily Cat was a popular VHS for Streamline back in the day because it would make a fantastic double feature with other titles in their catalog. Thinking of it more as a popcorn flick B-side to other sci-fi horror features honestly makes it a lot more appealing. I feel like this would be a perfect companion to watch with, say, the original Vampire Hunter D that Streamline released back in the day, as it's another relatively short horror classic. And it goes perfectly along with Vampire Hunter D also because the two share designs by Yoshitaka Amano. That's right, the artist that made all those dreamy designs for everything from the Final Fantasy game series to Vampire Hunter D also did the monster design for Lilycat. Original character designs for the movie were done by the iconic Yasuomi Umetsu, who would later go on to doing designs for things like Megazone 2-3 Part 2, Robot Carnival's Presence Short, and Robot Hunter Kishern, just to name a few. Mechanical designs were handled by Yasuhiro Moriki, who also did mechanical designs on such notables as Angel Cop, M.D. Geist, and Martian successor Nadeshko, along with general design credits for Rager 2, Ixer Reborn, and even Silent Mobius. The film's script was written by Hiroyuki Hoshiyama, who also wrote for things like the Dirty Pair series, including the Project Eden film, Megazone 2-3 Parts 1 and 2, and he's the original creator and main screenwriter for Galactic Drifter Vifam. The director of Lily Cat is the late Hisayuki Toriyumi, who was definitely no stranger to science fiction. Not only was Lily Cat based on an original story by him, but he was also the chief director on the original Gatchaman series and its immediate sequels, chief director on Space Warrior Baldios, and a supervisor on the Bao OVA. The art director for this film is Masayoshi Bano, who is also the art director on Barefoot Gen 2, and a background artist on things like the original Birdie the Mighty OVA and Perfect Blue. Music for the film was done by Akira Inoue, who was pretty good for setting the mood for a lot of the more intense horror scenes. He sadly doesn't have a lot of credits to his name, but he also did music for the Lensman film and theme song arrangements from Across 2 and for the Harlock Saga OVA ending theme. While Lilycat's ending theme is actually an English language song called Listening to Angels, performed by 80s pop songstress Teresa Jonette 
who had a handful of moderately popular releases around the time this movie was made. The ending song isn't something I'd say was a huge standout, but it's a very chill, somber, sort of city-pop-sounding tune for anyone who's into that kind of vibe. It really does sound like it could be off the soundtrack of a long-forgotten 80s Hollywood movie. While I was doing my research, I discovered that the song was actually written by Chris Mosdell, a British composer who's best known for his collaborative work with such artists as the Yellow Magic Orchestra, Boy George, and even Michael Jackson. This also wouldn't be the first time he'd work on something relating to anime, either. In the future, he'd go on to work on lyrics for songs included in Cowboy Bebop, Knockin' on Heaven's Door, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, and Wolf's Rain, just to name a few. I had no idea he'd worked on something anime-related even earlier than Cowboy Bebop, so that was a fun discovery to make. Since I originally watched this one dubbed on TV, I went for revisiting the dub again this time for the rewatch. For the era in which it was dubbed, it's not bad at all. I think it helps that, even though this is an old streamlined dub, there's a pretty good cast for it, with some standout names. There is a character in the movie that has a very pronounced and heavy Australian accent, but honestly, I don't think it's that terrible. I've definitely heard worse. And I think it also lends itself to that kind of 80s movie charm, as Australian characters in 80s Hollywood movies were kind of a thing for a while, weirdly. Personally, I think it gives the movie a little bit more personality and charm, and it gives the characters a little bit more background without the story having to stop and tell you a bunch of things. You obviously know he's Australian because he sounds like he's from Australia. Love him or hate him, Carl Masick made some pretty standout dubs for Streamline back in the day. Captain Mike Hamilton was played by Mike Reynolds, who you might have heard before as Giuseppe Maillart in Wicked City, Janai in Digimon, and Captain Mutiny in Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. He was also a regular voice in many American cartoons and was a writer for a substantial amount of English anime scripts. Sadly, while I was in the middle of making this episode, Mike Reynolds passed away at the age of 92. He was a well-loved figure in the industry and will definitely be missed. I'll be putting some extra links in the show notes specifically related to him and his work, so if you're curious about that, be sure to check them out. Juro was played by Bob Burgeon, who is actually most well-known for doing the most recent voices of Porky Pig and Tweety Bird in any Looney Tunes work. But he's also known for playing Lupin, aka The Wolf, in Streamline's Tales of the Wolf Lupin III release back in the day, as well as Streamline's releases of Castle of Cagliostro and Mystery of Mamo. He also played Kai in the Streamline dub of Akira, and Shugo in their dub of Megazone 2-3. Brittany Harlow, a pseudonym for actress Iona Morris, played Caroline, or probably Claudia Grant in Robotech, Eve in the streamlined dub of Megazone 2-3, and Katsumi in the streamlined dub of Silent Mobius. 
but under her real name, she's probably best known as Storm in the 90s Fox X-Men cartoon. Dick was played by Gregory Snegoff, who also voiced the iconic Duke Togo in Gogol 13 the movie, Taki in Wicked City, and BD in Megazone 2-3. Julie Maddalena plays Nancy, but you're more likely to have heard her in El Hazard as Ura the Armor Cat, Hikaru in Magic Knight Re-Earth, and the Tachikoma in Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. She also played Pinoco in the Blackjack OVA and movie under the name Julie Kaliwer. So, ultimately, would I recommend this movie? Well, if you like creepy sci-fi horror with really well-designed monsters, especially if Aliens-inspired 80s anime sounds like your sweet spot, then this one is absolutely for you. While it has a lot of the same familiar trappings as similar movies that came before it, that can be a comforting and fun thing for some horror fans, myself included, who might just want to enjoy a cool-looking monster-in-space kind of popcorn flick. It's not going to do anything too different or groundbreaking, but it does the familiar stuff in stylish, gross, and cool ways that is a short, one-and-done film perfect for a double feature or a watch party with friends. If you have any friends that are really into old 80s horror movies and love Alien, this would be a great one to recommend that they probably never have heard of. If you love old, gory 80s action anime like Akira, The Devilman OVAs, and Wicked City, then this will be right up your alley. But if you're skipping this one due to the horror and or on-screen animal violence, then I'd recommend checking out They Were Eleven, Robot Carnival, or Memories instead for cool sci-fi anime with plenty of tension and drama, but less horror and no gore. Discotech's DVD release of the film from 2014 is good for what it is. The picture quality is to be expected for a film from the 80s on DVD, and the sound quality of the dub is decent, considering its age as well. There's not much in the way of extras on here, as the only real extra is just from an option to see the original Japanese credits, which aren't really that much different from how the dub credits are, to be honest. Unfortunately, while I was working on this episode, I was surprised to find that it seems like the Discotech DVD release for Lilycat is currently out of print as of this recording, which is a shame because even with its extremely sparse extras, this was actually the first time the film's original Japanese version had been released officially in the U.S., Before this, Streamline's dub release was the only version of the film we got, and while I find it pretty good, it's nice to have the original version of the film available as well. The DVD is already getting harder to find on the secondary market right now, but luckily the film is still available streaming on places like Retro Crush and Crunchyroll. But hopefully we'll see a re-release in the future, as we all know that streaming licenses don't last forever. I'd love to see if Discotech could do some kind of remaster, or maybe even just one for a standard definition Blu-ray if possible. 
It has been a while since the DVD's initial release in 2014, so it would be great to see if they could put out something with some picture improvement, or maybe just even something with more extras if anything new has popped up in the last eight years. I guess time will tell. Until then, if you're looking for a physical copy, I'd keep your eyes on eBay listings and used media stores to see if you can find one that pops up for a reasonable price. And that about wraps it up for this short review episode on Lilycat. Many thanks to those who left me tips this month on Kofi, including Plastic Star 5, Duck Nuts, Ralph Snackshi, Bonito, Larry Who 82, England Prevails, and several other listeners who wish to remain anonymous. Thank you all so very much. If you want to get a shout out on the next episode of the podcast to be just as cool as they are, all you have to do is go to my Kofi account and leave me a tip of two or more copies. I'll have a link to that in the show notes, which you can see at animenostalgia.blogspot.com, as well as at animenostalgia.tumblr.com, where you can also find other relevant links to this episode, as well as links to past episodes. You can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for the Anime Nostalgia Podcast and you can usually find it. And while you're there, you could always show my podcast some love by leaving a rating or a review. I always love seeing what people have to say about the podcast. Or if you want to send me your thoughts and comments directly, or you just want to say hi, you can always email me at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but I promise that I do read all the email that I get. My amazing theme song music was made by Carobit. You can find more about them and their music on his Twitter, at Carobit. That's K-E-R-O-B-I-T at twitter.com. As always, I have been your host, Don, and I will see you next time. As a famous comic book character once said, I'm getting too old for this kind of shit.